I'm putting an asterisk beside this podcast. Okay. I'm doing it under protest. Simple as that. Well. Nobody has a handle on the league like these two hockey heads. Mike Farwell, Chris Pope, your number one authorities on the OHL. This is the Farwell and Pope podcast. We're getting down here in the season, Farzy. We're almost at the end. The games almost matter. It's funny how I feel at this time of the year, because as I've said many times throughout our years working together on the broadcast on 570 News or on this podcast, I love this league. And when I take the high level view of what we do, we get paid, not a lot of money, but we get paid to go into hockey rinks around this province to watch some really high level hockey, get a decent meal and a cup, well, we get a meal and a cup of coffee along the way, and there's nothing to complain about. But sometimes in the middle of the season, you're like, oh my gosh, is this over yet? Mm-hmm. And now you get to this point, and there's that excitement of the finish line and the playoffs that are around the corner, but I almost feel bad because I'm like, I should have enjoyed the other games more along the way. I don't know. That's, it's just that mixed feeling right now. I feel you. I, there are those dog days of the season, and I think uh, the last probably 10 or so, I feel, have been those dog days too. Just because a different kind of dog days, but you're just constantly looking forward to the playoffs. You're like, let's just get these games over with. Like, exactly. Let's go. You're still invested because of the team that we broadcast for this season is in, obviously, uh, a contention for a division lead down the stretch. And that's you can't. That's all you ask for as a broadcaster because it's fun hockey. Every game matters. Uh, but you just want that game 69 so bad. You're like, let's go here. Give us a who we playing in the playoff. Who are we going to see? Let's let's dive in head first. That's really, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. Imagine how our buddy and colleague, Kenny Walls, up in Ottawa feels, right? Like we've got the dog days that you mentioned of kind of January, February, right? That's the, the thick of the schedule, the thick mm-hmm. of the lousy weather, even though we didn't have much of that this year. But you're right. And then you get to this point where you're just, you know the team that you're covering is going, well, Kenny and the Ottawa 67s have known since Christmas, basically. Yeah. And they have been on cruise control up there in the nation's capital. As broadcasters, it's always easier to broadcast and more, let's say more enjoyable, maybe not easier, but more enjoyable to obviously broadcast games where the team that you are broadcasting for is on the winning end. It's just, it's more enjoyable. The fans are more engaged. The fans are more engaged and... I can imagine that it's been a fun season for Kenny Wall, Kenny Walls, but I also feel like it's one of those seasons where he's like, oh, like he must have been thinking, like you said, like since Christmas, let's get the playoffs going here. Like, and he's probably saying, let's get the OHL final going, well, yeah, here, or at least the East final. Right? I've said it on. I, I'll say it again. I've said it on podcasts. I've said it on our broadcast that the Ottawa Sixty Sevens are in the Ontario Hockey League final this year. They, they might not lose a game throughout the entire Eastern Conference. They might not so, lose a game. Maybe no, well, they didn't last year. They I know. didn't last year. I know. Until the, and, the OHL final. Yeah. It, they're, a, they're a buzzsaw, man. They're, they're crazy. Um, Great hockey team. So my question to you, Mike. Yes. Given all of the 67's success this year, we talked about it. They clinched back at the beginning of January, it seems. Um, they've been one or two in the CHL top 10 rankings all year. Does their season come with an asterisk? Why would it? For what reason? No, of course not. That is a stupid question. And anybody who utters the word asterisk in anything other than Barry Bonds' home run totals is a moron. Is that clear enough for you? I guess. Okay. So for those who 
aren't aware, Ryan Payette, who runs for the or writes for uh, covering the London Knights for the London Free Press, he wrote an article leading up to Tuesday night's Rangers and London, well, the London game that Kitchener hosted, uh, calling Kitchener's two wins over the Knights, or saying that they came with an asterisk because of the fact the Knights were without Liam Foodie, Connor McMichael, and head coach Dale Hunter. It was during World Junior time. You, Mike Farwell, you can follow him on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL, myself, Chris Pope, at underscore Chris, Chris Pope. You were not a fan of it. Let's, you know what, don't even give out the, can we take that back? Can we erase that? Because this is part of Payette's master plan. No, it's a podcast. We can't erase stuff. He wants to gain Twitter followers. That's his MO in all of this. That's his raison d'etre there in the forest city of London. Let me be clear about a couple of things right now. First of all, the London Knights came into Kitchener this past Tuesday at time of recording and punked the Kitchener Rangers. Flat out punked them. The Rangers were in the game for about two minutes. That's it. Liam Howell scored a second period goal for Kitchener that made it 3-1. You're thinking, okay, there's a chance here. Lots of time on the clock. And less than two minutes after that, London made it 4-1 and 10 seconds later, 5-1. Good night. London came in and punked the Kitchener Rangers. Said first place is ours. It was a one-point gap at the time. It increases, of course, to three points. First place is ours, and you cannot have it. Not even come and get it. They basically, I know it's not mathematical yet, but basically left the Rangers and the rest of the Western Conference in their rearview mirror like they have done time and time again. It's impressive as hell. London came in, punked the Rangers, flat out, no doubt. They're going to win the Western Conference again. Ho-hum. It's impressive. Great hockey club full of talented players. Prior to that game, though, Ryan Payette had the nerve to put in print, which is what blows my mind. He's a better person than this. He is simply trolling for reaction. And what bugs me more than anything is that he's getting it, and I'm part of it. I I know better than this. Ryan Payette wrote exactly this in the London Free Press in the Tuesday story leading into that game versus the Knights and Rangers. Both sides know the Rangers' two wins this year came with an asterisk achieved while Connor McMichael, Liam Foody, and Coach Dale Hunter were with the Canadian World Junior Team. Would those players and that coach have made for a different game? Of course, different players, especially of those caliber, make for a different game. But that doesn't automatically mean London would have won because this just in, they don't win every game with Connor McMichael and Liam Foody and Dale Hunter in their lineup. Just ask the Guelph Storm. So stop it. And if you're going to put an asterisk beside a win when those players were away, what asterisks are you going to put beside the wins that happen for other teams when those players are in the lineup? You're basically saying our team is 68-0, and 0, unless. So what? Connor McMichael had a fight with his girlfriend. He wasn't on his game. Asterisk for the Guelph Storm. Oh, Liam Foody got some bad chicken in his pasta before the game. Asterisk for the Flint Firebirds. Stop it. It's ridiculous. See, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. For Please a do. Just because okay. you mentioned they don't win every game with Connor McMichael and Liam Foody in the lineup, but they do win every game with those two in the lineup against Kitchener. Well, they did this year. Well, the, but, there's a, but that's such a small sample size. You're talking about six games, so four times with McMichael. Is and that Foody, a they, small sample size? Six games? Yes. In this league? Yes. I don't think it is. It's not even one-tenth or 10% of the season. Right, but it's the entire season. It's six-eighths of the entire 
season series. What's that? Three quarters. <laughs> okay. Math guy. Yeah. Um, I, and I think you're a little too close to it because if he would have wrote that about, um, let's say the Flint Firebirds, the Flint Firebirds, two wins against the London Knights come with an asterisk. I personally don't know if we'd be having this conversation. The only thing you have to ask yourself is where it then ends. Somebody who called our post-game show on 570 News after the game on Tuesday night, I thought put it perfectly. Asterisk is just a fancy word for excuses. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And I'll have the conversation with you big picture on championships achieved in strike-shortened seasons. Absolutely, as I joked earlier, Barry Bonds home run totals when he was on steroids compared to the players that weren't, things like that. But in this particular case, where does it end? If 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 I'm a fan of Kitchener, then I'm all over or Josh Brown, who writes for the Waterloo Region Record, should say that the London Knights win on Tuesday night comes with an asterisk because the Rangers were missing four regulars. It's ridiculous. It's the asterisk but doesn't belong were, there. Were we not saying that though? We, Nobody like, who it, was saying that. Well, I, I sure I th- as hell wasn't. I think we're getting caught up in the terminology of asterisk. It certainly comes with a but. And I'd, I'd say that, and I, I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying it. What you it, need- it comes with a but. The Knights won Tuesday night, spanked the Rangers, spanked them, but Kitchener didn't play well, and we're without two top six forwards. So this is exactly where you are becoming Ryan Payette, a.k.a. a bit of a troll. And I say that just in the internet vernacular. I'm not trying to cast aspersions on the guy. Again, I love him. I've, I've spent time with him in offseason. He's a good guy. But... As a reporter, there's a difference between reporter and columnist, okay? So the reporter can state the facts. So the Kitchener Rangers were without four regulars in their lineup. Greg Morellis, Isaac Langdon, Arbor Jackeye, and Reed Vallad when they lost 6-2 to the London Knights, period. Let the reader or the listener determine what that means. That's a reporter. You're stating a fact, just like Ryan could have written... The London Knights lost two games to the Kitchener Rangers while Connor McMichael, Liam Foody, and Dale Hunter were away at the World Junior Hockey Championships. That's just stating a fact. With when you add in, when you editorialize on that mm-hmm. and say it comes with an asterisk or it comes with a but, then you're moving from being a reporter, reporting on the facts, and becoming a columnist and editorializing. Without getting too much into the industry, I feel that those print writers now are reporters slash columnists. And I'm fine with that. So all I'm saying is let's recognize it for what it is. But it's it's inaccurate to say that London's win on Tuesday comes with an asterisk just as much as it's inaccurate to say the Rangers wins over London this season come with an asterisk or any win for any team on any given night in this league. If you beat... When North Bay beat Ottawa, you and I talked on the podcast last week, what's going on with the Ottawa 67s, losers of four out of six games, and you said the reason is because they just don't have any wanna right now. They've got it all locked up. So is it an asterisk for the North Bay Battalion for beating the Ottawa 67s because Ottawa had already wrapped up the Eastern Conference or their playoff spot, whatever they had already wrapped up, and they just weren't that into the game? Of course not. It's asinine to suggest that. No, but there is that but. And I, I stand by that. It it happened, but 
this this is why it's, it's, a, it's a reasoning as to why well, and he's i think in in that sense he's just informing his readers hey those two losses came without those players because those players do make a difference we talked about it Connor mcmichael has played the kitchener rangers four times this year my am, am i right in saying yeah four times yeah four times 11 points world-class player that 11 released, points you remember the shot he didn't score on Tuesday night yes. when he worked himself out of a jam and all of a sudden the puck was ringing off the iron. You're like, where did that even come from? And it was at like the toe of his skate. It right? was unbelievable. At a time of the game where it was well in hand for London, but no quit in that kid. Yeah. And full marks. Huge talent. Heck of a player. Asterisk is just stupid. It's only done to work the Ontario Hockey League into a lather because the mighty, mighty London Knights are apparently perfect with Connor McMichael and Liam Foody in the lineup. It's just Against dumb. Kitchener, yeah. <laughs> yes, four and yes. two, right. Four games with those two in the lineup, four wins. Yes, so sure, put the asterisk beside any other team that beat the London Knights when they were without those players. But that's not the way you do it, because then where does it end? Like I said, then you start going back, well, then you slap an asterisk on London's win over Kitchener, and, well, North Bay has to have an asterisk on, uh, asterisk on their win over Ottawa, and on and on and on it goes. Payette did it just to stir the pot. Good for him. I'm not going to hold it against him because he's such a good guy, but please, let's stop wasting time on this. It's not even a conversation. There is no asterisk anywhere for any team in this league, period. I Asterisk may not be the word, but I think it does come with a second line underneath it when, the, when those wins do happen. Sure. With and those people gone. And I, I think that Payette did his job. Like By getting his, people worked up, yes. Well, just getting people talking about it. That's that's what you want as a, as a writer. That's what you want as a broadcaster. You want people talking about your article or your uh, post-game show or whatever the reasoning is. You want people talking about it. And whether he used the proper vernacular or not, it does come with that, for lack of a better word, asterisk. Okay, so it, it doesn't. For the love of God, Pope, if you say it one more time, I'm going to climb across this desk and punch you. It's stopping. In the asterisk. And you are the instigator. Great point uh, that he's done his job. Not even just stirring the pot. Let's let's give shout-outs where they're due, okay? Ryan Payette and the London Free Press. I'm just going to go off my head here right now. Brad Cochamilia with Sue today uh, and Peter Rucci up with the Sue Star. Uh, we've got Greg Cowan with the Owen Sound Sun-Times. Uh, I forget who's writing in Peterborough now. Shame on me since Mike Davies is gone. Uh, who else could we throw out there? But just keep throwing them out. Tony Saxon with GuelphToday.com. These are the people. Gene Pereira up in Barry does great work. I think it's, is it Barry today? I think uh, any, it might be under the Today banner. Regardless. Oh, Ben Leeson in uh, Sudbury with the Sudbury Star. These are the beat writers with the newspapers that are still so relevant and mean a lot to these teams in their markets. Read them. And if, they're, if Payette's doing his job to get more clicks on the LF Press website or more copies of the London Free Press purchased... Good for him for doing that part of his job. Absolutely. I, I love to see the survival of the newsprint and everything connected to this industry. Of course, if you're around Waterloo Region, you can check out Kitchener today. And I already mentioned sure. our buddy Josh Brown. Of course. Of course. All right. Uh, you know who doesn't come with an asterisk? <laughs> well, or it might have an asterisk, actually. I think it should. Shane Wright. Yeah, because Bernie Nichols, and credit to Bernie for the tweet, crediting or giving props to Shane Wright for establishing a new record for rookie scoring as uh, a Kingston player. Bernie Nichols would have been a Kingston Canadian, but uh, Shane Wright at 16 
started when he was 15, did what Bernie Nichols could do at 18. Yeah, his underage season. I also <laughs> think it should come with an asterisk because with all due respect to Zade Wisdom, there ain't a lot there in Kingston this season. And Shane Wright is having one for the ages as an underager on a team that is struggling and was probably looking towards the first overall selection in the upcoming OHL draft. Uh, Adam Fantilli, I think is the kid's name who everybody is talking about. Um, I think they would have liked to see Fantilli and Wright on the same hockey club. That's probably not going to happen anymore. And Kingston's now working their way because in large part to Shane Wright into a first round matchup with the Ottawa 67s. And you and I talked about this last week on the podcast when we were talking about Ottawa's dominance. And you're probably right, a four-game sweep. But I'm just glad for this league and for Shane Wright, quite frankly, that he's going to appear in the playoffs in his first season. I just want that. No no disrespect, Niagara, but I hope I hope that uh, Kingston holds on to it because this is just, this is an incredible story for the Ontario Hockey League. And, and we'll go back to it again. You and I tragically saw Shane Wright far too early in the season, had the chance to talk to him, but it's just like he, something happened. Was it the U-17s? I don't know, but a switch got flipped. Something clicked. He realized, okay, I may be 15 and some of these guys are five years older than me, but this game is easy. I can play it and I can be better than you at it. I talked to Jimmy Gilchrist, the longtime uh, play-by-play voice of Kingston, and just before they left for uh, North Bay, they've got a brutal week. My gosh, North Bay on Thursday, Sault Ste. Marie Saturday, catch Sudbury on the way home Sunday. Yikes, playoff push for the France, and look at that schedule for this weekend. So I'm talking to Jimmy on the phone, and he says uh, Shane had his first two in the first five minutes of that game versus Flint yeah. when he got the hat trick, uh, and he, that was the same night. He, all of it's happening in the same night, but... Jimmy says that was the seventh time this season he'd scored twice. And he says he's got him five minutes in, so I'm thinking this has got to be the night. He finally gets the hat trick, and sure enough, he did, plus an assist for a four-point night. On the night, he establishes a new mark for goals by a rookie in the Kingston organization. And and Jimmy talks about what a good young man he is, too. So I couldn't be happier for the kid. I've spoken with him twice in both Ranger meetings with Kingston, and he's very well-spoken, good head on his shoulders, and as... I think it was the France Twitter account tweeted, Shane would be the first one to compliment his teammates on his success. But look at these numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, take a look at what this kid is doing. It is something special. And I love it because I feel this exceptional status that has come into the CHL over the last, what, decade and a half maybe, um, comes with a lot of pressure. And that's where some of those, and we talked with Shane about it, where... That's where some of those meetings with the CHL and the OHL, and they want to know the player. Can you handle this? You may be good enough to come into this league, but can you handle the pressure that is there with the exceptional status? John Tavares, Aaron Ekblad, Sean Day, Connor McDavid, and now Shane Wright. Those are some big uh, shoes to fill if you're coming into this league as a 15-year-old. As you mentioned, playing against players that are five years older than you think back to when you were 15 could you like i couldn't have handled that not not a chance i had just given up my paper route yeah yeah and to think that you're like just the the transformation for anybody from the age of 15 to 20 is insane it's it's where you grow up as a person and he has to do it with how many eyes on him every single night and you know we 
most radio broadcast in this league interview a player on the opposing team before the game? I would bet you 34 times a year, Shane Wright is that player at a Kingston. Absolutely. And to just to have that on top of it, it is a lot of noise amongst a season where you already have the expectations. You have self-expectations. You have expectations from in the organization, your coach, the general manager, your parents, your teammates, your friends, your family, scouts, your agent. <laughs> and to do what he is doing, I don't think is getting enough credit. That night he broke Bernie Nichols' record. He was trending in Canada. And I think that is just outstanding for a 15-year-old putting your name on the map. Now the biggest... Uh, pressure for for Shane Wright. What do you do next year? I know. You I have keep 40 t- talks in your rookie season as an underager. And it's not done yet. As an underager. That is ludicrous. I keep thinking, I keep trying to project. Because, I mean, obviously, you're going to say 40 to 60 to 80 or something like that. But nobody's going to score 80 and 68, are they? Yeah. No. Well... Yeah, exactly. No, I can't I don't wait. think so, but I can't wait. you never know in this league. One more quick point on the 15-year-old and playing against players five years older. Let's also, and you were talking about, think back to when you were 15 and where you were at in your life. Let's also remember that this is a 15-year-old kid playing for Kingston, not from Kingston. Mm-hmm. Shane Wright has moved away from home. I know the Billet families really take care of the kids in this league, but just imagine that aspect of it too. All of your friends from your 15-year-old life are back home, and you're in a new school and a new city, and you're living with a brand new family. Holy Hannah. And then doing what he's doing on the ice. And not to mention, no matter what you're doing or who you are, you have detractors. You have people that want you to fail. So imagine what those people were saying in his first 10 games when he went over to the U-17s and he wasn't off to the start that everybody thought he was going to be. And he was, I don't want to say he was struggling, but he was learning the league and learning how his game transferred into this OHL. And I'm sure he heard from those detractors. I'm sure some people were saying some negative things about his game and, oh, see, he shouldn't have got exceptional status. He couldn't cut it. He can't cut it in the OHL. He's not the type of player. Look look at his numbers compared to Tavares and to, towards McDavid. Yeah, how's 39? Yeah. <laughs> it's not, I, well, we were in Flint. Um Brennan Othman, the second overall pick, his former line mate, had just set a Flint Firebirds points rookie record, surpassing Ty DeLandria. And I think it was 31 at the time. And at the time, Shane Wright had 35 goals. It's just head and shoulders above the competition. And his age group is coming into the league next year. Yep. It blows my mind. So can we talk about the elephant in the room in all of this? I mean, it's such a great story. As I mentioned... I think it's great for the league, the story itself, and it will be even greater if Kingston can hold on to that eight spot and make it into the playoffs so Shane Wright can get four more games under the bright lights, at least four more. But the elephant in the room in all of this, and I kind of hinted at it when I said, tragically, we saw Kingston both times far too early. You and I get to see them both times because we go on the road. So when you play the Eastern Conference, you play them once in their building and they make one trip into yours. We have got to. And if this isn't motivation enough for the Ontario Hockey League, I don't know what is. We have got to rebalance the schedule in this league. Fans of teams, I'm telling you, don't want to see one opponent eight times a year. They don't want to. I don't care how big you think the rivalry is. Eight 
is way too many, especially when, because of those eight, you are being denied even one more opportunity to see a player like Shane Wright. We have got to rebalance the schedule in this league, and the sooner we do it, the better. I'm with you. I set up in uh, Owen Sound the other night when we were talking about this off the air. I said it is a real tragedy that we only get to see Shane Wright twice a year. And I could say that about a lot of the Eastern Conference. It's a tragedy we don't get to see Ottawa more this year because we've only seen them twice. So I guess it's on us to watch more hockey games from the Eastern Conference to get an idea as to what that team actually is. And, you know, you see highlights, you watch highlight packs. You you maybe see two other games, but still four games a year to get a good understanding of what that team is. You might see them on good nights or bad nights, and then it might come with an asterisk. And when we saw them, that's right, I was just going to say that. You read my mind. <laughs> they didn't have Marco Rossi, so it was an asterisk when we saw them. Yeah, I, I just... You're welcome. I'm, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I, I think it's time, and I just don't understand... I understand the rivalry, and you, the travel, you're never going to sell me on that. I, I that's don't, the big argument. Well, though, I know, right? but I, I don't believe in it. I don't buy into it. Look at the Western Conf, or the Western uh, Western Hockey League. The, the travel there is a million times worse than what we see here in the Ontario Hockey Same League. in the Quebec League. Yeah. Absolutely. They do road trips that last days and in, in, in the last weeks. Weeks, yeah. You know, so I, I'm with you. There's ways around it, and it's not like we're pushing for Kitchener to go to Ottawa six times a year. It's, it, there's, a, there's pretty simple numbers that you can factor into how to build the schedule but I understand that it is a student first league and that's why the travel is the way it is because if we can find ways to keep students in school and not on a bus to North Bay five times a year, then you want to do that because you want these kids to be successful in school because if you look at the numbers, quite frankly, the majority of these players don't play professional hockey for the rest of their lives. That argument, though, is getting weaker and weaker for me over the years, though, too, Chris, because of technology and these teams have supports right there i know in the province of ontario it's a bad time to talk about online learning but that is absolutely feasible and these teams all have educational consultants at the ready to help ensure that these kids are getting their education as well the numbers really are simple when it comes to some level of rebalance i've said it before i'm just going to put it out there again one more time for for everybody everybody in the room listen now it's really simple you play the teams in your own conference four times. So that's nine other teams in your conference. Play them four times, 36 games. You play the teams on the other side three times. Ten teams on the other side, that's 30 games. Now you've played 66. Take two more games, make them rivalry games. Sure, Kitchener can play Guelph. Kitchener can play London one more time. Sarnia can play London. Windsor can play Saginaw, whatever it is. Get those rivalry games. Peterborough, Oshawa need to have them. That's great. And then you filled out 68 games just like that. And when you're playing that odd number of games against the other conference three times, one year it's your turn to travel there twice. The next year it's their turn to travel to you twice. And at the very least, you are improving the chances of all of the fans of this great game to see the very best players more often. How much <clears throat> Excuse me. How much does that... Um... When you look at that type of schedule, it would be it would be a lot more travel. How much of it comes down to dollars and cents? Well, because it's really it would, not a lot. It does come. It's we, not a lot more we, travel. We're not too far removed from uh, Sportsnet's investigation into how many teams in the CHL actually made money. And if you're asking these franchises and these owners to foot more of a bill for travel 
just to make the schedule more balanced for two broadcasters who do a podcast on the side. I don't know how many would be raising their hand to say yes. I don't, but we're not just doing this for us, right? We're saying it's better for the league, and I firmly believe that it is. Fans deserve to see Shane Wright more often. They deserve to see the Ottawa 67's super team of 2019-20 more often. They just do. And that could even mean if they get closer to your home community, right? Again, we're a little bit biased in our privilege of being where we are located here in central Southwestern Ontario, right? Yeah, we have nothing to complain about. But, I mean, even if Ottawa came to Mississauga more often and there's no Rangers game in town and a junior hockey fan wants to make a 45-minute trip from Kitchener down to Mississauga to see one of the best teams in the CHL, they might take advantage of that sort of thing. But I I don't think the travel, you're not really adding a whole lot more. No, but I'm also curious as to how many owners would say no because of the, of the, the gate they get for those Western Conference games. That's a very good point. Right? It, you don't have to look very far. The odd is more packed for the London Knights and for the Guelph Storm than it is for the North Bay Battalion. And is that because they're rivals? Is it because they know that they see familiar players and they know those players? Who knows why the gate is that way? But if I'm looking at it and you're, I'm saying you want to take away two of my gates against London and two of my gates against Guelph, if I'm the Kitchener Rangers, and, and make those a North Bay, a Mississauga, uh, a Sudbury, and a Barry. I don't really know if I'm <laughs> going to be too happy with that because I'm looking at it and I'm going to lose money. Hmm. It's not a bad way to look at it. I hadn't, on it, I honestly hadn't considered it that way, and that may well be one of the arguments. I, I'm who, still going to stand who, firm who knows, on yeah, who changing knows, it. But. Four or five years down the line, fans are now, you know more invested into those 67s games or those Sudbury Wolves games in Kitchener because the rivalry sparks, right? You're you're creating bigger rivals. And I think Uh, what you have to do is take a little bit out of the fans' hands in this and and the the owners too and think about what's good for the league, right? What gives the league the greatest exposure? What gives the players in the league the greatest opportunity? Things like that and allow the fans to absorb even more of the game. You almost like giving them their medicine, right? This is what we think is good for you, so this is what we're going to do. Yeah, I, I see both sides. I, I really do. I would love the schedule to be changed just because I think seeing a team eight times a year is just way too many times. Way too many times. Um, but that does lead to the rivalry aspect, and I do, I do like the rivalries that the Kitchener Rangers have with those teams they see eight times a year. Yeah, and other teams obviously have those same rivalries and the fans absolutely love them. We had the chance last week to have a four-time Stanley Cup champion as our feature interview on the podcast. This week, it's another Stanley Cup champion, and I got to give credit where it's due, and that credit goes to you, Popper, because this is a man whose dour expression intimidates me to the point that I'm not sure I would have stopped him getting off the bus like you did and said, hey, you, yeah, the one that casts a shadow <laughs> over everybody because he's that large. Want to have a little chat? He, he is a large man, I'm not <laughs> going to lie. And just the, the look on his face is quite intimidating. And then you think about the way he played defense and the way he played the game of hockey. And intimidating doesn't even begin to explain. I said to you in the media room, he might have been the most feared defenseman of his generation, not named Scott Stevens. Yeah, we had a good conversation about that, and you might not be too far off the mark. Scott Stevens threw big body checks. I think our guest this week might have been a little on the 
dirtier side. He was. Did you say that to his face? You didn't. Not a chance. <laughs> Are you kidding? But he was a very kind man. He took the time right away. He came off. I said, hey, coach, you, uh, you able to chat for a radio interview? And he took two steps. Yep. And then all of a sudden he goes, let's just do it right now. Okay. This guy, we, we talked about the four-time, count them, four-time Stanley Cup champion we had on last week. They beat the Dallas Stars a couple of those runs. Not a big deal. Ah, you're welcome, Joe McDonnell. Our guest this week, the first American-born captain to raise the Stanley Cup and the last captain of the Dallas Stars to do so, Darian Hatcher. So, Coach, obviously not the season you would have wanted, but after going for it just a couple of years ago, it's a rebuild here in Sarnia. How's it been so far? Well, I mean, it, it, it hasn't been fun, to be honest with yeah. you. Going into the season, we didn't look at it as a rebuild. Uh, you know, uh, you know, we, we had some, some injuries early on and throughout the course of the whole year, to be honest. We played our first game the other night with, with everyone in our lineup. But, uh, you know, it, it hasn't been a fun year. You mentioned those injuries, a big one, Jamison Reese. What does a guy like that mean to this hockey club? Well, you know, we're, we're not really deep, and I think when you, when you lose uh, top six guys or top three guys on your team, it, it, uh, it really makes a difference. And, uh, you know, when he's up and playing his game, he's a great player. You have a young goaltender in Ben, ben Goudreau. What have you noticed from him? Uh, we just want to see him getting better. You know, we like what we see in practice. He's, uh, he practices incredibly hard. He's very competitive, which we love. Uh, and in the games, he's been a little bit inconsistent. Right now, we just want to see him get more consistent game in and game out. Going through this OHL life can be a challenge at times to do it with your son on this team. What's that like? Uh, it, it's been it's been it's been fine. It's been great. You know, it's, it's something uh, I don't I don't deal with him a whole lot, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's been it's been good. He's back from injury too. You know, he just yeah. came back uh, last game as well, and uh, so that, so that's good to see for him. But uh, you know, it's been good, and I, I I'm glad I did it. You mentioned you don't deal with him a lot. Is that by design? Well, yeah. I mean, we let our our, our D guy uh, our D guy talk to him, and, and when I need to talk to him like any other player, I'll, I'll I'll talk to him. Is it difficult for you at times to take off the coach hat, put on the father hat, or vice versa? Well. I, you know, around the rink, it's easy. In the odd time, you know, he'll, he'll uh, or we'll go out for lunch or something like that, like two or three times a year, and talk to him more as a father. And uh, so I've, uh, I feel I've learned to separate the two. Is it nice being so close to where you grew up in Michigan? Oh uh, yeah, it's always good to be home, right? I mean, uh, you know, that that's always nice. All my family's still there. Actually, my brothers, my sisters, my parents, everyone's still around that area. So it's definitely nice. What was it about ownership and coaching that drew you to this situation after your playing career? Well, I worked for Philadelphia for, I believe it was four years that when I retired, uh, player development. And, uh, you know, I, I had contacted my agent and asked him about coaching gigs in the OHL, particularly somewhere close to uh, Detroit. <laughs> and uh, he, he introduced me to Dave Leguan, who at the time was had some interest in, in looking into ownership of the Sarnia Sting. And you know, at no one point had I ever thought about it before that. Uh, I just wanted to get into the coaching thing. and uh, But, uh, you know, Dave called me and we worked it out, and, you know, and it's, it's been good. Being from Michigan, going back to your playing career, obviously 15-plus years, but a small part of that was a member of the Red Wings. What did it mean to play for the Red Wings as someone who's from Michigan? Well, I mean, it, it was great. It was unfortunate. My first year, I, I hurt my ACL. I think yeah. I played 20 games in the second year. We were locked out, so... 
you know, I, I was there two years, but, but it, you know, it, I, it wasn't the best two years. You know, I would have liked to play the full two seasons and uh, thought a better feel for it, but the, the amount of time I was there was great. During that lockout, you and a couple guys went down and played semi-pro. What was that like? Well, I think for me, I had to. I, I, I just said I was coming off my ACL injury, and I played 20 years the year before. I, I didn't want to go over to Europe, which I, I had opportunity to go over to Europe. I didn't want to do that. And, you know, when we learned the season was going to be done, it was just something that someone had reached out to me to do. And, and with me not playing that much hockey the prior year, I, I thought going two years in a row without playing hockey probably wouldn't be a very good thing. To your time in this league as a North Bay Centennial under Burt Templeton, what was he like as a coach? Well, he was great. He, had, you know, he and both my brothers as well. Kevin and Mark, uh, Mark, well, started off in Niagara Falls, moved to North Bay, but uh, he had both my brothers as well. And I think when I got him, he had calmed down a little bit. The game had changed a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, I remember actually coming here to Kitchener and watching my brother Mark play, and and, and just some of the stuff with the fans and all that. And uh, so I think by the time I had Bert, the game had changed a little bit, and he had calmed down. But uh, but he was great. I think some of those fans are still in the seats right now, maybe a little more tame as well. What do you remember from your time walking in this building? Well, I, I'm not going to get into it too much, but like, like I said, there was some... Uh, I, was, I was probably 10, 11, 12 years old at the time, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I'm going to play in this league. You know, a little bit nervous. But, uh, but like I said, uh, you know, it was great and it was fun to watch. You, you were big even when you played in this league. Did you know coming into the league that you had a chance to be a first-rounder to the National Hockey League? Well, I mean, yes and no. I think you always believe in yourself, but I actually, you know, uh, I had opportunities to do other things, and, you know, and it was a tough decision. Both my brothers had played here, uh, you know, and and when I came, you know, Bert gave me the chances, and, and the rest was pretty much his, history, so obviously uh, no regrets. You mentioned your brothers also being hockey players. Growing up, was it always hockey in the Hatcher household? Pretty much. I mean, I, I played basketball, soccer, you know, ran track and field, did a lot of other things, but uh, it was always it was always hockey. Uh, you know, we my dad would go out there and sponge the snow down in the backyard and, and have an ice rink there for us. Uh, a guy by the name of Sean Chambers lived five houses down. He played 15 years in the NHL as well. You know, him and Kevin were best men at each other's wedding, so I don't think that was a coincidence. He won two Stanley Cups. Uh, you know, you had three NHL players that lived on the same block, and my older brother Mark who played in the minors a few years. What were those battles like on that ice rink? <laughs> you know, both my <laughs> brothers are a little bit older than I was. So, I mean, uh, I mean, Kevin's six years and Mark's eight years. So I, I probably got a little lucky. Most of my battling was with my older sister. <laughs> you, as a member of the Dallas Stars, you became the first American-born captain to lift the Stanley Cup. When you get called up to accept that Stanley Cup from Gary Batman, what is going through your mind? You know, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to describe. You know, I've been asked this question, and I, I don't think I ever have the right answer for it. You know, uh, just a really everything happened fast. You know, obviously the the playoffs are such a grind, and then it ends, and it's like, oh my gosh, we actually won, <laughs> and then it's done, and you're home. You know, yeah. it, it kind of goes that fast. Obviously, it's an unreal feeling. Something as a kid, like we you always play for the Stanley Cup as a kid. It, it, it's a dream come true. It's everything everyone says it is. Yeah. You know, it's just, but it, it, everything just kind of really happened fast. Did the beer taste sweeter coming out of that cup? <laughs> yes, it did. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, 
to your time in Dallas, you started off in Minnesota, hockey country, and then go down to Dallas, kind of the first expansion down south. What was the feedback from some of the fans after you won? The fans from... From Dallas. Like oh, yeah. Well, you know what? When we went down there, we, we uh, pretty much established ourselves as a good team right away. I think we sold out five or six years in a row, something like that, once uh, after our first year or two. So, I mean, our fan support down there the whole time I was down there was unbelievable. You know, and the reality is you did have a lot of people from the northern regions down there. So they're very familiar with hockey and, uh, and, and you know, and they just they took to it right away. Uh, and, and, you know... Uh, you know, personally, I like to move. I was 19, 20, 21 years old, whatever it was when we moved. They said we're moving to Dallas, and it was just like, all right. You know, just packed up the car and went down there. So for me, it was simple. Mike McDonald, the same thing. You know, all the young guys, the same thing. You really don't think about think about it too much. You just you just go out there and play hockey. When you think about those Dallas teams, your name obviously there, Mike Medano, Sergey Zubov. What was it like being in the room with those type of guys? Well, it was great. I mean, Mo and I, I think we were together 12 years or whatever it was. We were a long time, so... Uh, you know, we, we had we had a lot of good times, and Sergey Zubov and I were probably. I mean, we were, you know, we were really good friends. We had a great relationship. That's why I went out with a lot at home. I went out and hung out with our wives and stuff like that with Zuby. And uh, you know, we had a lot of great other great players on that team. I was reading a couple of your interviews before coming to the rink today, and I have to ask, but I, I'm sure you've been asked it a million times because you said you you're asked it a lot. But just how the game has changed. You if you say that you don't think it's changed that much. Why? Well, I mean, when's the last time you watch a playoff game? I, I think the, it's it's more physical than it was. I, personally, I think it's more physical than it was. I think there's more hard hits than when I played, to be honest with you. Obviously, the game's faster. I think that's like any other sport. I think if you go watch a basketball or a football game from 15 years ago, they're way faster as well. It's just the, the evolution of the athlete. You know, I, I think right now they... I think when they first made the new rule changes with, with the hook in and that, I think they went a little too far. You know, they, they, they took some of the emotion out of the game. It took them a couple of years, actually, right towards the end of when I retired. I think they, they got all that back into the game, and I, I think the game's at a great point right now. Do you think your game would change if you were playing right now? Uh, a little bit, but like I said, I, I think, you know, we just had this conversation. Oh, God, who was it? About a player that played like 35 years ago. I'm trying to... Th- Either way, he's in. Oh man, uh, we just had, and you know what? My answer was well, it's an it's an evolution of the game. You change as the game. You, you grow up playing it differently. You grow up doing everything differently. You know, like I said, I, I think there's more. It seems like there's more open ice and hard hits now than when I played. You were inducted in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. You represented your country in two Olympics, and obviously the Stanley Cup. Where would you rank all of those? Is there one that stands out more than the other? You know what? Obviously. Winning the Stanley Cup, winning the World Cup, I, I think those are two huge things. Playing in the Olympics, you know, I, we, we didn't do well, and everyone always asks. Like, I heard some players speaking out, oh, it's whatever, it's a waste of our, a waste of our time, because the U.S. didn't fare well. But yeah. you know what? I, I had a great experience over there. I took it all in. I went to other events. Uh, you know, being on the Olympic stage around all the other a- athletes I thought was really cool. Uh, obviously being in uh, inducted in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame was a, a great honor as well. I mean, it, it's hard to put everything in order. I, I've uh, I, I got to see the world through playing hockey, and that's the way I look at it, and uh, and I appreciate that. And it's hard to put it in order, but winning the Stanley Cup was uh, 
that was a lot of fun, and honestly, winning the World Cup in Montreal was fun too. <laughs> Just because it was in Canada, right? <laughs> yeah, that made that made it better. <laughs> so, you're in your fifth year as head coach here. We talked about all the accolades you've made in your professional career. You've been involved with the game, even like right from the time you retired. You started, as you mentioned, in Philly, yeah. and now here. Have you had time to ever just sit back and, and look at what you've done in your career and up till now? Yeah, you know, there, there's times you think about it. You know, there's times you're talking about it here and there. Uh, it just depends who you're with, what you're doing. I mean, uh, I was just thinking about it the other day. Yeah, I've been involved in hockey for, I think I was playing when I was two years old, so 45 years I've either been playing or involved in hockey in one way or the other. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's shown me a lot of different things, and uh, I'm appreciative of it all. Are there aspirations to continue the coaching career? I, I'm happy here, to be honest with you. Uh, I, Dave and I are happy here. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess you never know if it was in the right situation, but, but uh, you know, for the time being, we'll be, I'll be here. With three NHLers, finally, last question, with three NHLers on the bench, are there ever any heated discussions on how you guys see the game and how you want your team to play and whatnot? I, I think we all I think we all pretty much agree on most of the things. It's The things you have differences on is uh, how, how to relay it to the kids. I, I think that's the biggest challenge is how to uh, teach the kids, talk to the kids, you know, get the kids to do what you, you want them to do. I think that's the biggest challenge. As far as the hockey goes, there's very few... Uh, you know, we, we all pretty much see the same thing. Again, kudos to you for uh, making the time for with a guy that, honestly, when I see him around, uh, clearly a fine gentleman. We've run into many of those around this league, but doesn't always seem to be the happiest guy. And maybe because Sarnia's struggling, he's less happy this year, but not the kind of guy that screams, hey, come on over, talk to me. But a great chat with Darian Hatcher. And it's, you could tell as that interview went on, how it warmed up, and then oh, you want to talk about some some of my time in the National Hockey League and yeah. that whole Stanley Cup thing? I'm I'm ready to go. Yeah, I gave him a heads up just before the interview. I just said we're going to use this for our podcast. So we'll talk a bit about the season that you're having and your time here, but I also want to talk about your career. So just let him know that you know. So his brain starts moving back to <laughs> what was I doing in '90? You know, but man, when he was up in North Bay for that Centennials team, they had some tough, oh. tough teams. My uncle played against him, and he still talks about how awful it was just because you going into that barn you knew oh hatchers in there yeah and Burt templeton was behind the bench let's yeah. not forget that there was a special brand of hockey being played up in the bay well and there were some other uh members of his team too that weren't too kind to the opposing players it was a a different time for sure but uh, i i for one hated him when he was playing in the national league when at the peak of my detroit red wing fanship obviously the captain of the Dallas Stars, there were two big rivals for the Red Wings during those runs, and it was Dallas and Colorado. For sure. And just, I hated him. He was so mean. But the, to, honestly, you, you watch him walk walk around, he's just going about his business, ho-hum, ho-hum. He, he, was, he was great, and I appreciate him taking the time. I wish we could have got him in here and sat down and really dove in to a few of the players he played with and played against and what it was like back in those days. Well, now we have a relationship with him. Yeah. I'm sure he'll come back any time over the summer. Hopefully. You talk about how nasty he was, how mm-hmm. much you hated him because he was so oh, mean. He was mean, man. What do you think, and I'm, forgive me for the utter randomness of this, but what do you think Justin Bieber's chances would be if Justin Bieber were on skates, one-on-one against Hatcher coming down the ice, would he ever, Bieber, Zero. get over the blue line? Zero. Ten tries. Zero. <laughs> you want to make that number higher? I, Fifteen times? Zero. 20. Zero. <laughs> so what you're saying 50, is... Zero. Okay, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> so, in light of that, 
is it possible in any world that we know today that Justin Bieber could score a goal on a Stanley Cup winning goaltender? Yes. Really? Yeah. It's possible. It's possible. It's more possible than him getting across the blue line patrolled by Darian Hatcher. Yes. Okay. Only because could Justin Bieber get the puck in behind Darian Hatcher? Sure. But Darian's playing the body that whole way. That's what I mean. That's and, why I asked it. Yeah. yeah. E- even with Darian's bad knees, I still, <laughs> I still think you throw skates on Darian Hatcher today and there's not a chance. There, there's zero chance. So you brought this up because for people who don't know, Justin Bieber posted a video of him uh, scoring a breakaway goal, a shootout goal or whatever. Uh, they were playing rec league. He loves his hockey. He's from Stratford. Yeah. Um, he's played hockey his whole life. So... He was actually playing up in Harrison, where I grew up playing not too long ago. Posted a video out there with the Finocchios for anybody from the Harrison area. Um, so he posted a video of him scoring a breakaway goal, and Jordan Bennington commented on it on Twitter saying, you know, something to the lines of, uh, 10 breakaways on me, you don't score once. Bet you $10,000 or something like that. Bieber replied essentially saying, let's do it. And instead of the cash, we'll just donate to someone's charity. So, obviously, both those people, Jordan Bennington and Justin Bieber, have some other things in the works. They're doing some other things right now. Uh, the Biebs, obviously, extremely busy with his music career. And uh, Bennington's, what's he doing again? Oh, yeah, right, trying to win another Stanley Cup. Right, that, that little thing. Yeah, with the St. Louis Blues, um, who will be in the mix again this year. Uh, so, they're trying to figure out a time that works. And Bieber's taking this pretty seriously. As I mentioned, he's a Stratford boy. Grew up, he's got a... Culleton's tattoo, Bieber does, growing up in Stratford. Um, and one of Stratford's uh, most famous hockey players in the in past recent memory is now an assistant coach with the Owen Sound Attack in Joey Hishon. So he called up Joey, and Joey's been coaching him and training him. And he says he's got some sweet hands, but just a muffin of a shot, apparently. I love so many aspects of this story. First, the fact that it's, you know, I'm going to post a video of my rec league breakaway yeah. and an NHLer chirps you. That's great. It, right? It's awesome. And then the fact that it's turned into something that will have a good outcome for a, probably a couple of charities by the time we're all said and done mm-hmm. from some incredibly wealthy people. So I, I think that's great. And then Joey Hishon, you and I have talked about Joey before both obviously watching him in this league, winning that OHL championship with the Owen Sound attack back in 2011, the devastating injury suffered uh, during that playoff run with the attack and on into the Memorial Cup. And how good, like, we just don't know. You want to, let's throw the asterisk back in again. What if, right? What if Joey had not been rocked in that game? And what would his NHL career have looked like? Because this guy was a blue chipper. A blue chipper. So that hit and the subsequent concussion obviously derail his career. He does get the chance. I think he played a Baker's dozen games in the National Hockey League, 13 of them. Scored a goal. You can never take that away, but never really got to the point that I think many of us expected that he would. Having said that, Joey Hishon is a blue chip human being, too. We have talked to him. We see him around the rink. He's just a great guy. And so to have him now connected and then to add one more layer to it, how great is this for the Owen Sound attack in the Ontario Hockey League, posting pictures of Justin Bieber in their jersey? Well, I'll tell you, and we, we discussed whether we were going to comment on it or not, but I'll tell you how big it is for the Owen Sound attack. They've been inundated with media requests. I'm not surprised. To the point where Joey said no to coming on the podcast this week. Because <laughs> he's just like, I, I, I've done enough. Like, 
Bieber sent out that picture of him wearing an Owen Sound Attack jersey and calling him the best team in the galaxy with Joey Hishon, and they've just been inundated because there's people around the world who have no idea who the Owen Sound Attack are. Well, now they're calling because why is Justin Bieber wearing your jersey? This is basically as good as Stephen Colbert getting behind the Saginaw spirit all those years I ago. I think it's probably better. Better? Yeah. yeah. It, <laughs> well, well, if just it Biebs' sus- outreach, like... If it would be sustained. I For think sure. Biebs is going to kind of go away, but either way, it's it's just so great on so many levels. I think it's great, and uh, I'll be perfectly frank, I got caught in a uh, YouTube wormhole that I often do late at night. I'll lay in bed and just fire up a YouTube video, tell myself I'm going to watch this, and then I'm going to go to bed. Next thing I know, I've watched 30 videos, um, and I was watching some Ellen video. Next one up, Biebs is on Ellen. So I watch it, and they flash to the crowd. There's Joey Hishon. Come on. Yeah, sitting in the Ellen crowd. I love it. Because he was obviously in L.A. training Biebs, and his good Stratford brother told him to uh, come on to the Ellen show. So right. I thought that was great. So you say that Bieber gets one by Bennington. No, I'm saying there's a chance. I'm oh. not saying he will. I'm just okay. saying there is a chance. And if I, it's been said before, but it's just one of those where you're an NHL goaltender and you're used to, you're used to that NHL shot. You're used to reacting a certain way. You're used to them doing a certain thing. And that the, the shot comes off the stick a certain way. When you face somebody who isn't at that level, it's challenging. It's more challenging. I bet you it's more challenging for an NHL goaltender to face that muffin of a Bieber shot from the hash marks than so it is an Austin Matthews shot. You're telling me that you'd have a better chance than Jordan Bennington against Justin Bieber. I would have no chance. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought we might be able to put a little money on the line for a charity too because I don't think there's a chance Bieber gets one past him. But it'll be, there's it'll, a chance for sure. Chance. If you give me odds, we can do something. If you, uh, <laughs> if you think there's a chance or not a chance, you can let us know. We have this thing called an email address, farwellandpope at gmail.com. And we love getting your email. So let us know if you think Biebs can actually... I'm, I was trying hard not to say that because I don't know this guy Biebs. at all. Biebs. Biebs. Anyway, if you he think can he can Biebs. score on Jordan Bennington or you think Jordan Bennington goes 10 for 10, let us know. Farwellandpope at gmail.com. That's where our good friend Matt commented on a previous podcast. Hi, Mike and Chris. In my humble opinion, there is fighting in hockey, but it hasn't stopped the dirty plays. This goes back to a few weeks ago when we were talking about hockey or fighting and whether it belongs in the game. Do you remember Jordan Foreman and Max Jones, who both played for London? Jordan Foreman, in particular, was involved in several fights due to dangerous or dirty hits. Did those fights change his behavior? Nope. He just kept on doing those hits and stick work. Max Jones was very similar, and players fighting him or responding to him in other ways didn't change how he did stuff. Still not buying that fighting or having an enforcer stops the stick work, dangerous hits, or dirty plays. Love the Hour podcast this week. P.S., Quick question for you guys. Did the seriousness of Ben Finelli's injury lead to Liambus being suspended for the whole season? If Ben had bounced back up, would you just have given Liambus five or six games? I think injury should factor into a suspension and maybe reminds players they can't be reckless with their actions. Yeah, that was something we were talking about on the podcast last week. So quite a bit to unpack. I think Matt makes a good point that just because fighting is in the game, it doesn't mean some of the real nasty stick work is out of the game. In fact, it was pointed out by a former official in the Ontario Hockey League that one of the most memorable fights in OHL history, certainly between London and Kitchener fans, it was Mike Richards, Corey Perry, center ice in London. People still talk about it, certainly in the circles that we walk in. This Kitchener got a win. I thought London won that game. No, I meant the you. fight. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. Uh, but the former ref said, yeah, I believe it started when one of the guys speared the other in the nuts. So <laughs> yeah, I that'll think, start it. Yep. Yeah, but Matt, Matt, Matt makes a pretty good point. You know, that's that dirty, nasty stuff is still happening, whether fighting's in the game or not. And on the uh, on I, the Finelli question, I think I think probably absolutely Ben Finelli. We all thought I thought for a moment was dead. Uh, we know the outcome has been great, and he's a terrific human being with a terrific brain. But at the check time, out his podcast, yeah, uh, Heroic Minds. It's yep. it's phenomenal, and so, and so too is Ben. But uh, I I think Matt is onto something there. The seriousness of Finelli's injury certainly contributed to basically what turned out to be a lifetime ban for Mike Leambus. Looking back to that Richards Perry thing, and even Max Jones to an extent, more recently, Jordan Foreman for sure. Were there dirty plays? Yes. Do we have the amount of those dangerous, dirty plays now? Not even close. I think even when you made those dirty plays, like whoever speared whoever in the hoo haws, um, you had to answer for it. If you don't have to answer for it, you're doing it a lot more. That's where I think the fighting comes in. You can, you can do it, sure. You can two-hand me in the back of the leg, but someone's coming after you, yeah, and I you're going to have to answer for it. It makes you think twice. I think the leagues, because eventually we're going to see an elimination just organically, I believe, of fighting in the game. Eventually. Might not happen in our lifetime, but I think it'll be incumbent upon the leagues then to evolve their rulemaking and rule-enforcing to then, okay, next up on the list, those two-handers to the back of the leg, which is just, that's just mean, right? And because you know that's where the padding is non-existent, et cetera, and you start two games for that, and next thing you know, I don't know. It's In a perfect world, you put grown men with a whole lot of testosterone in an enclosed space with equipment and something on the line, and, well, since the dawn of time, this yeah. is the kind of stuff that comes <laughs> out gonna of it. It's going to happen. And Matt brought up the Liambus thing because we were discussing Greg Morales' suspension and whether it was based on the injury. I think if... Um, Kishnik? Yep. If he hopped up right away, there's probably not even anything. Could um, be. And I'll say the same for Finale. There would have been a suspension on that play, but it wouldn't have been as long because if if Ben had popped back up. I think, um, and I said lifetime, because that's what it turned into for Liambus. I believe the ban was 25 games. We got another email from Jamie who nice. says... I'd like to say that I've become a fan of your podcast lately. Thanks, Mom. I would really like to thank <laughs> Your mom's you. name is not Jamie. <laughs> and my dad is, though. I would really <laughs> like to thank you for the interview you did with Joe McDonnell. For someone that has been around the Kitchener Rangers for over 40 years and has seen some great people come through the doors, Joe McDonnell was by far one of the best. And the interview you did with him showed the class of Joe McDonnell and what he meant to the organization. Thank you for bringing attention to one of the great people who was part of making this organization what it is. Is Jamie, well, I, I don't know Jamie's name from the front office. It sounds like he's a member of the team. Listen, Joe McDonnell is a great guy. I couldn't agree more. And he's an even better scout. One, two, three, Stop four times. What I loved is four he, time. he brings in the Stanley Cup rings to show off to you. And he brings them in a bag under wraps. He won't take them out in the media room, doesn't want to draw more attention. Upstairs in the broadcast booth, away from everybody else, get a chance to look at the rings. If I had four Stanley Cup rings and I was a scout, I mean, it's probably a little different now that he's with another team. But if I was Joe McDonnell with the Red Wings before Jim Nill took him to Dallas, I'd be wearing all of them to every single game and walking into the media room with them in the air. Just send a message. That's me. Yeah, I get you. Put them probably, around, probably around not, your neck. Still, <laughs> so sweet. <laughs> Jamie, thanks for the email, and uh, thanks for listening. Glad you found it. Hey, tell a friend about the Farwell and Pope podcast because we're 
always looking for new listeners. You can subscribe and rate us too. Don't be shy on the rating. You can now find us on Spotify. Thanks, producer Polly. Where else do you want to go? The email address again, farwellandpope at gmail.com. Tweet us at underscore Chris Pope at farwell underscore OHL. Uh, I guess you know where I want to go, and we'll tie it back into a previous podcast, Windsor. So our weekend is home Friday, Windsor Sunday. Last time we went to Windsor, gluttons that we are slash were, you took us to, and I always forget, D'Antonio's? Antoninos. Antoninos. I can't believe I keep messing that up. I'm so sorry to Antoninos. It was my first experience with a Windsor pizza. I had heard many great things, and Popper said after the game... That's because I didn't shut up for three hours on the ride down to Windsor. Fair enough, but I had heard prior, and I'm like, I don't understand this hotbed of pizza in Windsor. So Popper said, Antonios, Antoninos, Antoninos. He said, Antonio, after the game, blah, blah, blah. So there we go, and... Honestly, we are such gluttons. It's one of the seven deadly sins, gluttony, you know. Each of us. We're both going to hell then. With a pie on our laps, cruising back home on the 401, and we are like nonstop inhaling this pizza from Antoninos. So, Antoninos. Nailed it. I'm so sorry to this place. (laughs) Honestly, at least I'm getting it out eventually so they can become... Hard to say, easy to eat. Almost. (laughs) That's to be the tagline. (laughs) Hey, Antoninos. Throw a sponsorship to the Farwell and Pope podcast. You got your slogan right there. Hard to say, easy, easy to, to eat. eat. Oh, my God, it's so good. So we're in uh, Flint not too long after, and Eric Wellwood, the Tecumseh slash Windsor native, the head coach, great conversation with him. Go back and find that on uh, one of our recent podcasts. I'm trying to remember the title of it, but you'll, you'll find it. Eric Wellwood is the featured interview. And we ask him, well, what's the best pie in Windsor? We just had this. Antoninos, what's your favorite? Do you remember which one he said? Yep. Armando's. Armando's. So that's why I'm looking forward to going to Windsor because this time we're trying Armando's. Of course I know what he said. Look at the size of me. <laughs> I've had this date circled on my calendar. So good. Normally, we, if the team was going down on a Saturday, like in the past, to Windsor, it's a three-hour drive, and we understand why the, the players or why the team wants the players to be down in Windsor on a Saturday night in a hotel room, wake up, you're in town, you don't have to ride the bus, whatever. You and I would sometimes drive ourselves on Sunday morning. Just get up and go. Nah, nah. We're getting pizza Saturday night, baby. Armando's. Here <laughs> we come. I can't wait. Here we come. I'm jacked up. And we'll be a few pounds heavier and raring to go for next week's episode of the podcast. I wish somebody had taken a photo, and I apologize if anybody um, of the police officer nature <laughs> is listening, but we were we got stuck on the way home from Windsor when we had those Antonino's pies and the train came across the road. I've never grabbed a pizza box so fast in my life, sitting in the driver's seat, full large between me and the steering wheel with the lid lifted up. I couldn't even see out of the front of my car, and I'm just trying to shovel pieces of pizza into my mouth as fast as possible before I had to drive again. If somebody would have taken a picture, oh, man, (laughs) we we must have looked like a couple of idiots. It's one thing we know for sure. Next week, we'll feature the full review of Antonino's versus Armando's. Nailed it. (laughs) I'm Farwell. And I'm Pope. And this is the Farwell and Pope podcast. That's a wrap on this edition of the Farwell and Pope podcast. Your authority on everything around the OHL. Have a question or topic you'd like covered? Email mike at 570news.com. The Farwell and Pope podcast originates from the 570 News studio in Kitchener. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.